Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to explore the history of Constantine, Michigan. This is a village that is located about six miles north of the Indiana state line over in St. Joseph County. And it's right off of 131. If you travel north on 131, you'll wind up in Kalamazoo. So we're going to explore some of the history of this village. So stick around and join me. So Constantine, as I mentioned, is a village in St. Joseph County. And it's it's located on U.S. Highway 131, which is the main street in the village. The population, according to the 2010 census, was 2,076 people. And as I mentioned before, if you travel north, you'll head to Kalamazoo from Constantine. Eventually, if you followed 131, if you followed 131 south to about six miles, you'll run into the Indiana Toll Road. And the St. Joseph River is a waterway that goes through the village. And at one time, it was one of the navigatable waterways that supplied the early days of the village history. And there were some grist mills on that river right there in the village of Constantine. Now, the village was originally platted in 1831, and it was originally known as Meeks Mill, named after a man by the name of Jonathan Meeks, who built the first grain mill there. And he was a Yankee from New York or New England, and he moved to several areas on the frontier, and each town having a name after him. So when they decided to incorporate as a village and renamed the town, it became kind of vogue for a while during that time period of the early 1800s to name villages after classical names from history. And so the village renamed itself after the Roman emperor, Constantine the Great. And according to the Village of Constantine's website, the village was platted in 1837. And the Village of Constantine is located in Constantine Township in St. Joseph County. And it's at the intersection of Fawn River, which was originally known as Crooked Creek, and the St. Joseph River. Now, William Meek originally purchased the land in Constantine in the summer of 1828 at the land office in Monroe. And he built a log cabin on the south bank of the St. Joseph River in the winter of 1828 to 1829. It was the first cabin in this area, and his family joined him in the summer of 1829. The following winter, he began construction of a sawmill, and the settlement was known as Meeks Mill. Now, other early settlers were families named Bonebright, Fitch, Arnold, Hamilton, and the Driggs. The first child born in the village was Henry Bonebright, born on February 3rd, 1830. The first marriage was that of Elliot Woods and Eliza Meeks in 1830. In the fall of 1836, the Constantine North Edition Land Company was formed, and it raised its first building in November of that year. The Republican, which was a three-month-old newspaper at the time, took a leading role in promoting the development of the business. The paper was eloquent on the subject of water privileges and called for capitalists to establish such things as an oil mill, paper mill, and blast furnace. 
river trade was developed around 1839, and the Honorable Joseph R. Williams started erecting a flour mill, buying his water power from Judge Meek. Now, joining him in this endeavor was George Howland of New Bedford, Massachusetts, and Daniel Webster, the famous statesman and orator. These two gentlemen soon lost interest and withdrew from the milling business in Constantine. Daniel Webster was a well-known orator and influential statesman in the early part of the 19th century. He was an attorney who argued several landmark cases before the Supreme Court that expanded the power of the federal government, and he was a dedicated nationalist, and he was elected multiple times to the House of Representatives and the Senate. Although the name Webster is often associated with the dictionary, that was his cousin, Noah Webster, who created the first compendious dictionary of the English language in 1806. And it was the first truly American dictionary. So that's just a little side note on that. It would have been interesting had Daniel Webster, the famous statesman and orator, remain connected with the village of Constantine. But apparently he sold out his interests because it really wasn't for him. But Mr. Joseph R. Williams began operation of the mill in 1841, where he had six run of stone. And he produced 25,000 barrels of flour yearly for many years. And he shared in the shipping trade with Governor Barry. Now, I've mentioned Governor Barry in another podcast episode and did a little history on him. And so in addition to the large mercantile trade in 1856, the mill was maliciously destroyed by an incendiary of some kind, which badly damaged the dam, and, and it was rebuilt by three men, Miller, Hagen, Buck, and Harvey. Another interesting note about the village of Constantine is there was a steamboat business that operated between 1843 to 1851 in Constantine, towing keel and flatboats from the St. Joseph River and returning to St. Joseph with lightboats. And then in 1845, Governor Barry constructed a warehouse on the piles over the river to allow steamers and other boats to load and unload directly to and from the warehouse, which was quite revolutionary during its time. The warehouse was eventually moved to the riverbank in 1853 when the railroads came through, putting an end to river navigation. So the river navigation period lasted until about 1851 and then eventually was replaced by the railroad for the main form of transporting goods out of the village of Constantine. Now we should probably mention that the most prominent political figure from Constantine was Governor Barry. He was chosen for three different terms by Michigan voters to be the governor of Michigan. And I don't think there's been ever a governor since then that has served three terms. Governor John S. Berry and his son Charles operated a warehouse and general store in the village. Charles remained there until about 1896. And then Mr. Cohen and William Watson took over these businesses after Charles retired. Another famous landmark that existed in the village was the Harvey House. And it was built on the location in 
1903, using the massive foundation of the Berry Warehouse. And the Berry residence remains of one of Constantine's historic landmarks today. Now, this building has an interesting history. It was the old Berry Warehouse, which today really no longer exhibits much of its original architectural integrity. But the building has significance in terms of a lot of the Constantine history, particularly in association with John Stuart Berry, the governor of Michigan, and the village's early history as a major regional port and distribution center, as I mentioned before. It's also one of the few surviving buildings constructed by New York-born master carpenter John Bryan. Now, Bryan was a builder and carpenter who moved to Constantine via Ypsilanti, In 1834, and while in the area, he received commissions for a number of Greek revival buildings. Most of those no longer exist. The Constantine Mill, which he built in 1839, the Wells Hotel, 1844 to 1845 when it was constructed, the First Methodist Church, 1845, and the First Dutch Reformed Church, which was constructed in 1845. In the extremely productive year of 1845, he also built the Berry Warehouse. And it was originally located on pilings in the St. Joseph River. And the Berry Warehouse served the shipping business for John Berry, who was the prominent Constantine merchant of the time. And as I mentioned before, the three-time state governor. And he was also a senator for a time. And he was a member of the first state constitutional convention, which was a pretty significant one because they wrote the state constitution. And he also served as a probate judge. So John S. Berry was quite involved with Michigan state government. So in 1862, Berry contracted a man by the name of Thomas Green to move the building to where its present location is at the corner of Washington and West Water Street, which served as a store and remained in the Berry family until about the turn of the century. And then there's some photographs in 1898 which reveal a simple two and one and a half story clapboard building with scattered rectangular windows openings and a gable roof with boxed eaves. And, you know, it was kind of an interesting building. And then in 1904, Chester Brown purchased the building and completely remodeled the building for the use as a hotel. And the alterations were completed by 1908, which included the addition of shed dormers, 10 rectangular windows on the eastern facade, and a two-story portico on the southern facade. The building has been known since that time as the Harvey Hotel. And at present, the Harvey Hotel, or the hotel's basement and basic structural beams, are original. But the exterior and interior alterations due to fires over the years and remodeling have left it with little architectural significance in terms of a National Register of Historic Places criteria. But the building's considerable long historical significance in the village of Constantine warrants its selection as a pivotal structure in the long-term history. So it is on the National Registry of Historic Places based on the uh, government archives. And it achieved that status in 1985. Now, John S. Berry's nephew, Charles H. Berry Jr., 
was one that inherited the property and and he was pretty active in the village history. He was involved with the Eaker and Berry store, which was one of the early general stores in the village. He was also involved with the Berry and Moore general store, which was a dry goods store that existed in the village. And then Charles Cone and Company was another company that ran a general store type they often called them dry goods stores for domestic groceries and other things like that. And then they had clothing and whatnot. And then in a newspaper article in 1897 in the Constantine Record, it specified that Charles Cohn had moved to Constantine from Berrien Springs, Michigan, where he'd been in business for about 10 years. And he established the Cone Company and purchased general stock in another merchandise store and established himself there in Constantine during that time. So it's kind of an interesting early history of some of the early merchants that were in the area. And of course, the Hotel Harvey was quite a bit of history, and I've already covered a lot of that. And that existed in the center point of downtown for quite a number of years as an active and functioning hotel. Some of the other interesting history of that hotel is from 1928, and continuing on for about 10 years, the Constantine Post Office was located inside the hotel. Additionally, two barber shops and a hospital were housed on the hotel premises during around that same time frame. So it's an interesting uh, multi-use functional building that they had there with the Harvey Hotel there. Another interesting note is from 1932, and continuing for about 12 years, the Constantine Library was housed on the hotel premises as well. So that's another interesting early note to the history of Constantine. Now, a lot of the information that I'm reading about today comes from the Village of Constantine's website, where they have a lot of wonderful reference material on the early buildings of the village. So if you're interested in reading more detailed information on that, go to constantinemi.com forward slash history, and you will find a lot of the information that I'm, I'm sharing with you today about the early history of Constantine and some of the early buildings that were there and the architects. And they've got a lot of PDFs that you can download to read some of the history of the early buildings that are written by local historians. So it's really a fascinating uh, reference page. And, and as a village, they have done a very good job of preserving their history. Now, if you've listened to a lot of my earlier podcasts, a lot of the early villages established a milling center in those early days of the founding of a village. And typically they're located either on a river or between rivers where they could build a mill race to have a faster flow of water. And you see these examples in places like Battle Creek and Marshall and even villages like Union City and even Athens had mill races or had a mill on a fast section of a river where they had a dam set up there to control the flow of the water. And so Constantine started with sawmills and flour mills, which are typically the first two types of mills that you will see established in some of the early villages. They also had foundries and woolen mills. Woolen mills were also very early on. They usually were, if you were to talk about stages of mills that were being formed in villages, 
Typically, the first one that you see go up would be a sawmill because that was the one that helped them build structures for the village and establish other buildings and shops and other mills. And then following that, you would find a flour or grist mill that supplied the service of grinding grain for the local farmers where they would turn around and sell these flour either in the community itself or uh, ship it to other locations. And those are big forms of industry. And then foundries were also operated by the rivers as part of the milling industry in the early days before a lot of the the shift away from water power happened. Uh, But in the early days when they were dependent on water power for milling, you'd have foundries, um, you would have woolen mills that were developed, even more specialty type sawmills that were furniture factories. And you would even have cider mills and breweries that would be established along a riverbank. And Constantine had a furniture factory and a brewery as one of the ones. There are other places and other villages had cider mills and a lot of those different specialty type mills that followed as a community developed. Now, some of the early leading businesses in the Constantine area was the Constantine Milling Company, the Board and Paper Company, and the Constantine Casket Company, which was established in 1895 and occupied the site that was the Oliver Plowworks. And the Irwin Brothers Sawmill was another early prominent business. And then the Bank of Constantine was chartered in 1836 with an authorized capital of $250,000 which was quite a bit in those days. And just some of that history of that bank, at the end of the first week that the stock books were opened, the full amount was subscribed plus 447 surplus shares. So that was quite a lot of investment in that bank and a lot of faith behind getting it established. As time went on, the first national bank was organized in 1864, and it was reorganized in 1895 as the first state bank. And then the commercial state bank of Constantine was organized in August of 1894 with a capital of $25,000. In 1910, Constantine was a town of about 1,000 people, as well as the industrial facilities It boasted a public library, it had several banks, and it had a comfortable hotel, the Harvey House. And it also had an opera house, had a newspaper, it had a school, it had several churches, and other little societies that were connected with the community. So it was well built as a community and located south of Three Rivers, which was 10 miles southwest of Centerville. So for a population of only about a 1,000 people, Constantine was a pretty well-established village with a lot of the foundations that you would need to keep a village going and growing. The first school was in the basement of a man named Niles F. Smith's store. The store was located on the south bank of the St. Joseph River in a frame building, and a man named Thomas Charlton taught the first six students in the winter of 1830 to 1831. The school was built on Broad Street in 1836 and had a lady teacher and 10 pupils. So it grew a little bit over the years in terms of the student population. And then the Union Building contained the first high school, 
which had about 90 students in 1910. And then in addition to the high school, about 170 lower grade students were also attending classes in the Union Building. So that was the progression of growth from 1830 all the way up to 1910. You can see the community is growing a lot more younger. Uh, Students coming up the pipeline and getting into the school system. And the regular classes included music and art as part of the curriculum. And the high school had modern lavatory facilities as well as a gymnasium back in 1910, which was quite revolutionary for its time. And J.Q. Rood served as the superintendent of schools, and Miss Anna Brady was the high school principal. Now, Constantine at one time, because you have these two rivers coming into around the village, the St. Joseph River and the Fawn River, you have many bridges, and Constantine boasted several bridges. The first one was built on piles with a swing in the center, And it was rebuilt in 1841 and in 1849 with a high curving arch, which allowed the passage of steamboats to go underneath it. And that bridge was raised in 1852, at which time it was on the level with the second story of Barry's warehouse. The first iron suspension bridge was completed in August of 1869, and it represented the largest single-span iron truss bridge located in the West. It was built by Simon DeGraff of New York at the cost of $15,000. And on November 23, 1869, not much longer afterwards, you know, it was built in August, it fell into the river. So the bridge was rebuilt and completed in April of 1870 with a length of 231 feet. And the next bridge constructed across the St. Joseph River began construction in 1905 and was completed in May of 1906. And the city water and light plant was constructed in 1902, which furnished the city with water and electricity, And the cost of the site and building was approximately $250,000 at the time. The laying of transmission lines cost about $100,000. So in 1910, the manager of the plant was a man named L.J. Bodding, and he was from Three Rivers. And in 1932, Constantine boasted two casket manufacturing companies, a creamery, which was called the Constantine Butter, and it had a paperboard mill and power plants of the Michigan Gas and Electric Company. So that was some of the early business history, as well as some of the bridges, some of the early construction. The first newspaper that was ever published in Constantine originated from Centerville, and it was known as the St. Joseph County Advertiser. And it was founded in 1845 by a man named Albert E. Massey and Horace Metcalf. And it started a, Constantine started a Whig paper, which was published in Centerville until about 1851. And that was published by Lee G. Hall and John Farquhar, who were the proprietors at the time. And then they moved it to Constantine. So that was when Constantine really started publishing its first newspaper. It was published as the St. Joseph County Advertiser and the Constantine Weekly Mercury until about 1900. 
And then in August, after it moved to Constantine, Mr. Farquhar withdrew from the paper and Mr. Hull continued as the sole publisher. Mr. Hull was known as the oldest newspaper publisher in the state in continuous service. The only interruption in the publishing of the paper was in March of 1874 when the building burned and the paper was not published for a few weeks. So it took them a while to rebuild and get themselves reestablished after a fire. But the paper was in continuous service all of those years, which was quite amazing. Now, Mr. Hall was an influential Republican in the area, and he held several offices. He was also assistant assessor of the Internal Revenue from September 1862 to May of 1873. And in August 1873, he was appointed collector of the Internal Revenue and remained in that capacity until September 1876. And in January 1877, he became a deputy collector for the counties of Cass, Berrien, Van Buren, and St. Joseph. And he held that position for a number of years. And then in 1867, he was chosen as a member of the State Constitutional Convention. And he founded the Items of Constantine in 1903 and remained as a publisher until his death in 1907. After his passing, the newspaper was continued on by F.W. and L.W. Hull as a weekly Republican newspaper. The Constantine Record newspaper was started by Clayton W. and Earl R. Clemens in May of 1897, and it was consolidated with the St. Joseph County Advertiser in June of 1900. And in 1901, Earl R. Clemens withdrew from the paper, and Clayton continued as the editor and publisher. And that's some of the early newspaper history of Constantine. Some of the early churches have some interesting stories to them. Starting in 1830, church meetings were held in the old school building on Washington Street. And the first such meetings were conducted by a Methodist missionary, and his name was Erastus Felton, and he had a colleague, Lyman Gurley. And from 1839 to 1848, the Methodist services were held in a Presbyterian session house. And then in 1848, the Methodist congregation built their own church, and the construction was begun in 1847 under the leadership of Reverend Richard Pengeley, their first resident minister. And in 1850, the church built a parsonage on the Three Rivers Road, which was occupied until about 1855 when the property was purchased on Pigeon Street and reestablished there. Now, in 1836, six men and three women organized a Presbyterian church in Constantine. And the first pastor was Reverend P.W. Warner of White Pigeon. And the first church building was completed in 1854. And the first minister in this building was Reverend Samuel C. Logan. At that time, the church in Constantine was the only one of this denomination in southern Michigan. And then in 1888, the first congregational church 
was founded by members of the Presbyterian and Reform Societies and occupied the same building. In 1910, the congregation numbered about 125 members. The Dutch Reformed Church in 1843, with Joseph Wells and John Sixby as elders, and Nicholas Sixby and John Harrison as deacons, this was formally organized and it was established as a worship center in 1845. The Dutch Reformed Church later became known as the Reformed Church of America. And then in 1876, the interior of the church was remodeled. And in 1876, a larger building was also erected. And another church that was formed during the early part of Constantine history was the German Reformed Church of White Pigeon. And they bought the old Baptist church building and shared it with a joint occupancy. So there's probably a lot more church history to go into. But obviously the early citizens of, of Constantine are quite interesting to look at their early history. Jo- governor John S. Berry, of course, is well known. There was another governor, John J. Begley, who came from Constantine. And of course you have editor Levi Hull. Franklin Wells for 30 years was on the State Board of Agriculture. And there were several judges that came out of Constantine. There was also a Brigadier General Frank D. Baldwin and Major General H.H. Bandholtz, who have quite a bit of famous history from the military history of Constantine. And I'll probably go into General Bandholtz in another podcast episode because I was informed a lot about his history from my conversations with the military museum over in Jackson. So in 1944 in Constantine, they established the Governor John S. Berry Historical Society, and they've been collecting and preserving antiques, providing historical information, and maintaining Governor John S. Berry's museum in the village since that time in 1944. And so there's a lot of great reference material through that organization, and of course they have the museum there. It would be very fascinating to go check out and visit. So if you're ever in that area of the state and want to go take a visit to Constantine, you should reach out through the Village of Constantine website and find out about touring the Governor John S. Berry Museum and some of the other former early homes of the governor as well as some of the other historical landmarks in the village of Constantine. And that just kind of gives you a quick history of the Constantine village. I just wanted to explore some of that today. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you're on the Apple podcast app, there is a way on there to leave a review. So if you would like to leave a review about my podcast, that'd be great. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always very happy to hear from you. And if you noticed a little bit difference in my voice in the last few podcast episodes, I have been recovering from COVID. I'm in good health right now, but I've had this persistent dry cough that I've been battling with for quite a while. And it's kind of affected my voice a little bit on some of my podcast work. So try to bear with me. Hopefully I'll be back to my usual charming voice back and if I can ever get back there again. So anyways, that's uh, kind of the the sign of the times. But I am in good shape. I'm past all the, the nasty part of the whole COVID thing. It's just kind of a lingering cough. 
With that being said, if you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you join me next time as we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another fascinating tale of Southwest Michigan's past. And until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>